Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., how are you doing today? It's a pleasure to be having you with me. Emiliano, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? How's everything? I, I, I am very excited for today's conversation. I want to dive deep in into your book, The Mastery of Self. And well, yes, I am re really excited and I want to get straight into it. So doing some research about you, I discovered that you were not uh, grown up here in Mexico, but you grew up in the States and were going to school in Tijuana. Yep. And also, yeah, I discovered that uh, listening to your podcast with Lewis House on the School of Greatness yeah. and also reflecting and listening to you, I can notice that you grew up on a world of dualities between Mexico and the States, but also between the teachings society gives us and the teachings from your family. And just as some sort of introduction to yourself, I would love it if you could like tell us how was growing up for you in this world of dualities and how was your journey in general? Well, thank you so much. That's a wonderful question. Um, for me, growing up in dualities seems something normal, you know, like, like you said in your question. Um, I was born and raised in Chula Vista, California, which is uh, a city just south of San Diego. And uh, I had the luxury of living also in Tijuana. I lived in Tijuana briefly when I was a kid, but eventually I lived in Chula Vista National City. Uh, but I continued my studies in Tijuana. So I went to the International Baccalaureate, El Bachillerato Internacional, in La Preparatoria Lázaro Cárdenas, and as well as El Mentor Mexicano. And eventually I made the full jump to the United States for my senior year of high school when I went to Bonina Vista and eventually University of California, San Diego. Right off the bat, I can say that I was completely emerged in the world that is Tijuana, you know, the, our Spanish there and mm -hmm. our way of living and sim the simplicity and the hustle and bustle of a small city that is continuously active and moving. And then I also lived in a very breezy, very mellow town, at least it was back then, of San Diego and the whole county of San Diego and completely emerged in the, in the culture there as well. And my accent, think, I think it's, it's reflecting that. <laughs> But at the same time, uh, my grandmother was a spiritual teacher as well as my grandfather, Don Luis. Uh, my grandmother was a curandera and she opened up a little temple in Barrio Logan in San Diego, where she taught the Totec tradition to the whole community there. In fact, in 2007, they inducted her into the San Diego Women's Hall of Fame for maintaining that traditional life. But she didn't speak any English. It was all Spanish. And I was, my job was to translate for her. So you have that, that part of me that was completely spiritual in the sense of my, my experience with my grandmother. And it was her who had that desire to share the tradition outside the family. You know, she broke the taboo that existed of teaching something outside of Catholicism in Mexico. And she decided to share that tradition with everyone. So when people ask me that I'm following in my father's footsteps, which is Don Miguel Ruiz, I'm really following in her footsteps. <laughs> so she is the spiritual leader of the family. And she is the one person who taught me that homeopathic uh, remedies or Uh, non-traditional medicines but in contrast my father uh, before he became Don Miguel Ruiz was Dr. Miguel Ruiz a neurosurgeon as well as my uncle who was also a neurosurgeon my uncle Carlos 
My uncle Luis was an oncologist. My mom was a dentist. My aunt Aida was a psychologist. My aunt Magda was an oncologist. And that's generation, it was all Western medicine, doctors and doctors. And <laughs> I grew up with that juxtaposition of duality, you can say, between homeopathic, non-traditional medicine and science and Western medicine. Yeah. And they both interacted all, all the time. My grandmother would send some of her patients over to what my, whichever one of the uncles or aunts would be uh, appropriate and vice versa. My uncles, my father would send patients over to her. In their eyes, the whole point is to heal and you use the full spectrum to see which one resonates with you. In that, in that sense of duality, I, I saw that what matters most in contrast, what matters most is the ability to heal. You know, there's, there's a purpose. Once you accept that, you have the full spectrum of everything that man, humans, women have created in these past centuries, you know, in, the, in regards to science and technology as well as old traditions. And you go to the one that resonates with you. And one, you can say that I've learned that we heal with our own permission. Mm -hmm. And once we have that permission, everything is our disposal. We just have to be willing to see which one resonates with us. So you have that. But then you also have the experience of spirituality in my family and then being a student of the International Baccalaureate, which is really much an <laughs> yeah. academic point of view, if you're, if you're familiar with the program. Yes, I am. <laughs> there you go. Are, are you part of the program? Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Hey! <laughs> yes! Uh, a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I do get your points of this world of dualities, especially with the international uh, baccalaureate, because I mean, I kind of perceive that mostly in this program is it is only science. And the, mm -hmm. again, having with your experience the mm -hmm. teachings about spirituality and about all the sciences and medicine. It might well. I think I I bet it must have been like quite difficult for you, like to to choose which to pick. Is that right? It was only difficult in the way I related to people. You know, uh, some people would. You know, when I was growing up, it wasn't cool to say that my father was a a, 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 a nawal or my mother, grandmother was a curandera. People would make fun of you for that. <laughs> But as time progressed, something happened that all of a sudden is not so. Uh, frowned upon is actually acceptable and uh, it, it it only happened when you related to people and and their perceptions and their and their prejudice a certain way but it all it all kind of blended when you were able to step back and one thing about growing up with this is that you're able to step take a step back and be able to listen you know like I said before if you take a step back Tijuana and San Diego are one divided by a little border but they're, they're, they coexist together. Their economies are tied together. Their cultures are tied together. Um, even though as soon as you take one step, you're in a totally different world. You know, it's like, like going from an Akira Kurosawa movie to uh, a, a Studio Ghibli uh, uh, cartoon, you know, it, 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 mm -hmm. it changes. But then again, you can take also that, that same concept. You can take a step back and you see In, in medicine and uh, homeopathic, uh, non uh, traditional, all traditional medicines, you also take a step back and the, the core constant is the willingness to heal. You know, ego will separate 
this side is better than the other side and the other side is better than the other one. At that point, a moment, you're domesticating yourself with another. So it was, it was trying to find your own voice, your own identity that made it kind of complicated, you know. But I, I, I have a rare luxury here in, in talking to you. There's a third, there's, I'm, I'm also the product of a third philosophy and that is called the theory of knowledge. It's, mm-hmm. which is a course of El Bachillerato Internacional. Yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. I, am, I, I would say that the, the one concept that really helps me tie both worlds is the theory of knowledge. You know, every word, awesome. yeah. empty symbol whose definition is subject to agreement. Every word in our vocabulary is an empty symbol until we make the agreement to say yes to a certain definition. And all of a sudden that word represents something but take a step back and understand that that word which is the expression of knowledge only has power because of an agreement you take a step back and realize every single thing is just an agreement it's just mm-hmm. an empty symbol to put it this way neil degrasse tyson the astrophysicist has one of my favorite quotes the truth exists whether you believe in it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. The truth doesn't need us humans for it to exist. A black hole was going to exist whether or not we can prove it existed. You know, up yeah. until a couple of years ago, it was a theory, you know. But once uh, this a scientist, she figured out a way to use a telescope with a certain algorithm, and all of a sudden we were able to see a black hole. And all of a sudden it went from a theory to a fact. The truth is the black hole was going to exist whether or not we believed in it or not. If we understand the concept of truth in that way, then let me put a contrast. A belief only exists for as long as you say yes to it. The moment you change that yes into a no, it ceases to exist, which means a belief needs me. A belief needs humanity for it to exist because without humanity, it doesn't at all, it doesn't have any matter. It doesn't, there's yes. no belief or nothing. It's just that. So it needs me. But we humans have the ability to change a yes into a no. When we say yes, we manifest something. And when we say no, that two-letter word represents the moment we choose not to create or manifest a single thing. So there's the contrast between the truth and a belief. One is the truth, obviously, fact. The other one is an illusion. True. And well, I, here I have got a couple of follow-up questions on all what you all of what you have just said. And I mean, I, I want to get back to the part of the truth and beliefs in a moment when we talk about the mastery of self. But first, I would just like to ask you for advice on how can I get in a in a nicer way through through the international baccalaureate. Okay. Well. <laughs> oh. Priorities. Mm. Um, one of the things that makes us, you know, the International Baccalaureate is a wonderful opportunity to go in so many directions. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, I was, I loved history and I like physics. Those were my two favorite subjects. Calculus, I wasn't so, so strong. You know, that was my uh-huh. Achilles in, in yeah. <laughs> concept, you know, theory of knowledge. I was all over it. I loved it. There's so much 
that we put so much pressure that we forget why we are doing what we're doing. I have a disagreement with my father in the mm -hmm. book, The Mastery of Love. The main problem that we in our tradition, the total tradition uh, that we face is domestication, which is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual, where if we live up to an expectation, we're worthy of a reward. And if we fall short of that expectation, we're worthy of the punishment. Since we are emotional beings who experience the full spectrum of our emotions, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love. It's the way we've learned to love condition. I love mm -hmm. you if. I love you if you live up to the expectation of the perfect international baccalaureate student yes. who gets <laughs> the top of the, the top grades, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 plus, you know, top of the class or whatever. Then only yeah, then sure. I'm worthy of love. <laughs> if I get a eight or a nine, how can I call myself a baccalaureate? And yes. Mortification. Yeah. How can I be number five? How can I be number four? And, and there's that's the downward spiral, punishing ourselves for not living up to the expectation. So my father, in the mastery of love, says that education is the same as domestication, and I disagree with him. Education is the sharing of knowledge from one generation to another. That's what all it is. We send our kids to school so that they can catch up to what humanity is doing and mm -hmm. eventually catch up and then push the envelope. That's the whole purpose of education. For example, the most famous teacher apprentice, that's what they call them back in the time, is Edison and Tesla. Mm -hmm. Nicholas Tesla was the apprentice of Edison. And they were trying to figure out how to illuminate a room using electricity, using AC or DC, alternative yes. current, direct current. Eventually, there's a disagreement. Tesla supports one and Edison supports the other. They break off and now it's a competition. Who is going to illuminate? Mm -hmm. And both of them get different supporters. Uh, Edison gets uh, JP Morgan and Tesla gets uh, Westinghouse, two battling financial uh, groups. Eventually, um, Westinghouse wasn't doing so good in the way they were promoting or creating. So eventually they were about to really falter and Tesla decides to sacrifice himself and gives away the rights to his patent, which Westinghouse in turn sells it to JP Morgan. And now JP Morgan now has AC and DC and the war is over yes. between the two, because now you have, it's, it has the same owner and let's just push. So here's the thing that was in the 1800s. Right now I'm, I'm holding a device Edison and Tesla. Every generation from them has pushed the envelope until we reach this thing, which is a cellular phone. I'm not gonna say the mark, but you can already see the symbol. So anyways, yes. <laughs> this is like a, a switch army device of using Tesla's patent and you can do so many things. 
and here's the thing this device is already passe it's already it's it's uh it's antiquated you know it, it, it became antiquated three months after i bought it <laughs> that, that's yeah, because that every generation just pushes it mm-hmm. so every generation will push it further and further and further why do people confuse domestication with education the reason why is this if you give me straight a's you are worthy of the name you're worthy of your last name you're worthy of whatever praise if you give me a nine or an eight or a five then you're not so you're going to be treated dramatically different you're not going to be anyone For special sure. <laughs> in the back and people will laugh and whatever at that point the motivator in domestication is conditional love. I love you if, and if you don't live up to my expectation, you're worthy of love. Actually, if you do, if you do live up to the expectation, you're worthy of love. If you don't, you're worthy of my punishment, my rejection. You know, other teenagers would say, if you want to be worthy of being cool, you will live up to every expectation, listen to the right band, put on the right clothes, hang out with our right people, and you're yes. cool and your reward will be popularity. But if you don't live up to the expectation, then you're a, you're a square, you're a nerd, you're a geek. And not only will you not be popular, we're going to ostracize you until you get hit with it, man. And we get rejected. But we humans, the motivator that gets us domesticated or what some people call conditioning is I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. I want to be part of the group. So when a group rejects us, then we reject them back. Forget you, Jock. Forget you, Chile. You're going to hang out with this crew. You know, I hang out with the goth kids. I hung out with the bachi nerd kids. And we all had our own rules. If you dressed all in black and listened to Caifanes, La Maldita, <laughs> y Fobia, you're a cool, man. But if you listen to Mana, man, you're a wannabe. You're a sellout. You're a poser. You're not the real thing. And there it is. You know, like listen to Luis Miguel or listen to uh, mariachi listen to all these things and re- you reject it so we do that thing you know we, we people who are into academics people who are into fashion people who are into hip-hop we do that it's it's something that we do so if we can begin to understand why we go into education we have a desire to learn a 10 a 9 or 8 is just the result of our efforts but why am I doing it? That reminds me of my nephews and my nieces who come and ask me for advice. Mm-hmm. Advice about being published as an author. I have quite a few nieces and nephews who want to be authors and I have a couple of other nieces who want to be, and nep- uh, nephews who want to be musicians. Mm-hmm. So just to paraphrase, I would have one nephew and my nephew wants my advice on how to get published. And I asked him, do you really want my advice? Yes, uncle, I want your advice. Do you really want my advice? Yes, uncle. Okay, I want you to repeat after me. I'm never going to get published. What? (laughs) No, that's not what I want. How can you say that? Repeat after me. I'm never going to get published. And after some back and forth, eventually she or she says, okay, uncle, I'll never get published. And they say with such sad eyes. Good. Now that you have accepted that truth, why are you still going to do it? 
And all of them have answered that immediately because I want to. And there it is. You can work at a Home Depot or whatever shop. You go home, write 500 words a day. And by the end of the year, you have a novel. You don't have to put all your energy into this one thing and sacrifice everything else. You look and you prioritize and you see what matters, but you're doing it because I want to. And the I want to is the passion that drives us forward. It's the passion that gives it this experience. What is it about academics that drives us? I want to know. Curiosity, being in awe. It doesn't matter if I got it wrong, it's just a, a step closer to getting it right. I don't have to get, I got it wrong, I got it wrong, I got it, and eventually I'm gonna get it right. All of a sudden, failure and something that didn't work like an experiment is just something that once I accept it, I failed, okay, I don't have to waste my time with that, let me take the next step until I find that one that was correct. JP Morgan, I, you, you mm -hmm. can say JP, uh, JP Morgan was using Edison saying, here's all the money. If you want to become rich and powerful, give me all the patents. Tesla, he sacrificed himself and he, he ended up dying penniless, but his invention changed the world. It did. Mm -hmm. And we're actually using Tesla as we speak. So yes. it's all a matter of what your priority is. If you can find the balance between the two, great. But, and how to survive and how to manage the VI and remembering my peers and my friends and myself going through all that work and just, it's tiring. But the reason why we kept going is because we loved it. We absolutely enjoyed it. It was just, we had such a curiosity about knowledge that we wanted to spread you know we wanted to find out for me the reason why i got into history and i read about history is that for me it's a story it's a story about how we got here which in spirituality you can say is i'm the sum of every decision and every action and every consequence but at the same time i'm the youngest i will ever be this is my moment of youth whether i'm 15 45 or 80 that day, I'm always going to be the youngest. And the proof of that is that if you take a picture of me right now, in a few weeks or in a couple of years, I'm going to look at that picture and I'm going to say, look at how young I was. And I know that because now I look at pictures of when I was your age <laughs> and when I was a year ago. And look, and I'm still saying, look at how young I was. Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Today, I'm the youngest I will ever be. But at the same time, I'm the sum of every decision. Every choice, every consequence has brought me here. History is that story that what brought us here. And it's phenomenal. You know, it's, it's you know, it, what happened in World War II, what happened in the Mexican Revolution, what happened anywhere in the world has antecedents. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, you're like, what's the antecedent? What's, what's the back, back story? If we want to use the popular culture, what were the prequels to the Star Wars stories? And you, you would hope that they, they would tell a better story. <laughs> but that's the way, that's the curiosity. In physics, the same thing. 
mm-hmm. want to find oh, out yeah. how everything moves. You know, what is a gravitational pull? What what is this texture that keeps the whole universe together? Why is light able to cross light years from that galaxy all the way over here? What is the medium by it moves? You know, where where it be that time is actually that fabric of time that allows light to pass what is a singular event what is a singularity is the universe actually expanding and contracting what was there before the big bang well another universe that contracted it's it's also like a form of history but told in a different way by the atoms and the consequences of choices curiosity once again you know like i'm just telling you right now i'm just talking the superficial but you can already hear how enthusiastic i am about telling the story and that's what gives education not just value but it gives it that inspiration that allows us to once we catch up to humanity it makes us want to continue to push forward yes see what else there is Mm -hmm. And that's what passion is. And I just said the two that I was interested. Sorry, I think I didn't go further with calculus. I said to I, I I took it for three years and I was never able to pass eighth grade. And then I learned that people who grew up watching and playing video games understand calculus a lot better because they understand what an ellipsis is and how it moves, a point moves in 3D space. And all of a sudden, gamers who've had 20 or 30 years of experience playing with algorithms understand calculus because their imagination doesn't have to work too much in order to see it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all about curiosity and bringing this passion into what you do. And I don't think that just applies for the IB, the International Bachelorette, but also like for life. I started... well. So my journey as an, as an entrepreneur, uh, told in a brief way, started like maybe five, six years ago when I was like nine years old, 10 years old. And it was mostly, I think, uh, because of a mix of like watching my father do his businessman stuff. And also because of school, because I sort of have been always a good student. And that's why I am right now in the International Baccalaureate. And I think it has been mostly because of curiosity. I like physics too, for example, although I am not like the greatest in my classroom in physics, I do like it and enjoy talking about it and learning about it. But also I find myself and other of my classmates not liking certain topics or certain subjects. And I think that 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 fact causes them or that belief, I would like you to clarify here. Um, but yeah, that idea causes them to then not do great or not do good in that part of school. And so here, what I want like to sort of ask is for teenagers and for people just in general who think they have to do things, but they are not passionate about them, what would be like your advice? What would you tell them also Uh, now getting a little into the book, into the master yourself, what advice would you give them? Like um, also coming from a place of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. From a place of unconditional love, it's, it's always good talking about dualities in the conversation we were having at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
the contrast between conditional love and unconditional love. Conditional love only sees what it wants to see. It's kind of like Don Quixote only wants to see giants. Unconditional love is the willingness to see life as is without any attachment to the result, but the willingness to see life as is. The equivalent would be the moment that Don Quixote accepts that those are windmills and by doing so accepts the truth of himself. His name is Alonso Quijano or Quijones, depending on which edition you read. Mm -hmm. If you look at that contrast between those two, what drives us to create? You know, if I run marathons and half marathons, I talk about this in the book a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, I enjoy running. I'm, I'm not that fast, but I can, I've ran, since the book, I've ran six full marathons and 25 half marathons, which means I've ran 42 kilometers six times in my life and 21 kilometers, 25 times in my life. And 10 kilometers and five kilometers, way, way too many to count. I've done it way too many times. Yes. <laughs> I have a joy for running. Now let's, let's use the example of domestication or conditional love. I love myself if. The thing about conditional love is that it creates a sense of insecurity. All of a sudden, I don't trust myself. I have to be right in order to be worthy of anything. I have mm -hmm. to be the top. I have to be number one. I have to be the one student in the IB program that can do everything right. <laughs> if I don't do that, then what am I doing here? And, and all of a sudden, that disheartening is what kills any form of inspiration. It kills it completely because now I'm comparing myself. Jealousy is simply comparing myself to someone else's journey or life or success and me making myself inferior. And that's what breaks jealousy. I'm less than. I think I'm less because of this. And that always brings insecurity. Mm -hmm. I am not worthy of love. How can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. if I don't know the four agreements? And also at that moment, it's no longer about the four agreements. The telltale sign that I use the four agreements as an instrument of domestication is judging myself for taking things personal, judging myself for making an assumption and all the rest. At that moment, I'm not practicing the four agreements. I'm practicing the four conditions of our personal freedom. We still call it the four agreements, but it's not. It's the four conditions. And the reason why is because I'm using it different. An agreement is the action of saying yes to something, whereas a condition is a subjugated yes or no. I have to live up to this image that I say yes to. Remember what I think about belief. It only exists for as long as I say yes, which reminds me of the phrase by Eleanor Roosevelt that says, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent, which means no one can condition me without my consent. Is it so like let's say that, let's mm -hmm. say that my dear friend, Brian, uh, he qualified for the Boston Marathon. Now, in some circles in the running community, there is that hierarchy. People domesticate the corrupt running in the same way I can corrupt the four agreements and turn it into the four conditions. Mm -hmm. Well, they say some of the, like, I know there are runners, if they want to make someone else feel insecure or judge them or ridicule them, they'll call them a jogger. A jogger yeah. is someone who just runs slight, but just goes for the run and he's like, 
he's not serious. He's not really a runner. You're only a runner if you accomplish a certain amount of time. For many, that is qualifying for the Boston Marathon. You have to run that 20, that 42 kilometers in a certain amount of time, like really fast, almost close to two hours, something like that. Well, my friend, Brian, accomplished it. He qualified. He created and achieved this level of success. If I'm going to use and still believe in domestication, I'm going to say he's a runner and I'm a jogger because I'm only able to run five, the marathon of 42 kilometers in five hours. I am so slow. I am so slow. At that moment, I can work and run that triumph, but instead of celebrating my achievement, because the first time I ran a marathon, I did it in six hours, and the last time I did it in five, I shaved off a whole hour. But instead of celebrating that accomplishment, which is, is an accomplishment, it I'm is. so fixated, but I didn't qualify for Boston. And here's the thing, even if you, if you do qualify for Boston, that motivator, you don't know how to do anything without that motivator, so you up it up. Now that I qualify for Boston, I have to actually win Boston. Otherwise, I'm just a jogger. But if you let go of that, if you're able to let go of that domestication and see yourself as you are, this is my truth. Today, my best allows me to run 42 kilometers in five hours. That's my best. This is me. Why do I still do it? For the same reason I told my nephew or my nephew told me, because I want to and I mm. continue to run and I enjoy it. And now because I enjoy and accept, this is my truth because here's the thing about running. There's no such thing as faking it till you make it. There's no such thing as a poser. On, when you go for a run, whatever you're able to do, that's what you're able to do, that's your truth. If you accept that, then running a marathon is just that one Sunday where you let everything go. The real marathon is run 18 weeks prior, maybe even longer. But for me, that Sunday is just an excuse for me to run between now and then. I enjoy it. It's just an excuse. I see a goal and it just happens to be the focal point by which I go in that direction because at this very moment, I'm alive. When I say I'm the youngest I will ever be, I'm the infinite possibility that can go in any direction in life. So when I say I want to run a marathon or I want to run a half marathon or I want to practice kickboxing or I want to practice doing weights or I want to read physics or history, I just set the goal by which I want to go in life. And the goal is just the excuse to live life from here to there. I want to experience this. It's a joy. And when you come from that point, when my friend qualifies for Boston, I'm going to go, yes, and celebrate it. It's an inspiration because I saw how hard he worked for it. And that's the thing. You look at your partners, your classmates, and some of them work really hard. Some of them don't work as hard. There's people who have great photographic memory. Then there's people who, just like you, like the way you describe 
business and 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 commerce and and how to build it's it seems easy because you, you see a certain path that you understand you don't have to use your imagination too much it, it, you see the trajectory you see the logic to someone who doesn't have that it makes it look like you're creating magic like how are you doing that <laughs> but it just happens to be that that's the way you see it and you may not be so good somewhere else and whatever you know the thing about it is this the goal and the beautiful thing about the international baccalaureate is that it's so tough that everyone in that classroom becomes like a team and we help each other like i'm still i this year we've we've had three uh, virtual get-togethers with all my ib friends i graduated back in 1994 and we're still in contact with one another. We've lost two people, no, no, one, one person, Yolanda. And we still get together. We're still in each other's lives. We, 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 we see like, man, we survived that. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, sometimes we're even still uh, friends with our principal, you know, we still interact with her, which is nice. There's something about camaraderie, about we're all in this thing together, let's help each other. And all of us excel on one thing and the other. You know, sometimes when we're doing study groups, the person who understands economics leads the, the study group and the person who understands calculus leads that one. The person who understands history will understand that. And they just, go, it goes like that, you know. The top of the class with my friend Yasir and, and Jorge, those two, like you, you can see them, like the top two, they could, like you can say that they created so much it's like watching Paul McCartney and John Lennon create music. You know, there's a certain rivalry that propelled them forward, but such friendship that they created great stuff. And you watch them, you go like, wow. You're in awe of those two, Jorge and Yasir. You know, they're phenomenal. You know, it's just incredible to witness. I'll be honest, I was back, I was in the back line. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's 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 one of those things that, you know you've given yourself a challenge and it's up to you whether you use that challenge just to love yourself conditionally or you use that challenge as let's see what I can do. And, you know, for example, when I started running, because before that I used to play football, football was the, mm. my sport and then I got hurt. I got injured and sciatic nerves and all that. So I had to relearn how to walk and then I started running and because I couldn't go sideways anymore, I couldn't play soccer anymore. So I just can only go straight. That was the direction I could only go. And the, f the first time I went for a two mile run, I could barely do it. So, but I wanted to run. So I created a playlist on one of these devices and I walk once on, run, one, walk, walk, run, walk. You know, I went that, that pattern. Yes. Then I walk one song and ran two songs, walk one, ran two and then it became three and then it became four and the pattern began to grow as the, when I, until I reached a point where I was able to run for a whole hour. The first time I ran five miles, I crossed a threshold my mind said I couldn't cross or my self-doubt told me I couldn't cross. And it felt great. There's something phenomenal about crossing a threshold your self-doubt told you you couldn't cross and you proved it wrong. I can. And the best question in life comes, what else can I do? And the answer 
was even more a more spectacular anything because then now I know how to do it. I just have to find the right pattern and follow, continue, follow through, follow through, follow through. And sometimes even with studying and, and education, you look for that pattern that helps you. And once you find it, all you have to do is just follow through, follow through, follow through, follow through. Yeah, no, no, I, I do get your point. I was listening yesterday a song with my mom, uh, which she heard because uh, an influencer she follows on Instagram, and it was all about just ke keeping moving forward and keeping like pursuing this goal you, you, you set for yourself. And from the part of like the, the, the IB and for people struggling with it, I think that like the main takeaway from there is like wanting and the difference between wanting and needing. So it's wanting. Um, yes. <laughs> so wanting is from unconditional love and needing is from conditional love. I want to versus I want to. That's like, you just, that's so awesome. That's yeah. <laughs> I want to versus I have to. You can hear conditional love all over. I have to. I gotta. I want to is passion. I have to is obsession. I want to is passion. I was reading a couple months ago a book uh, called Change Your World. It is John Maxwell's new book. And one of the things he talks about there is like, doing things just because you want to so, uh, and he talks about values so he says that values and you know just important things for you are those things you might not understand in the beginning why you want to do them but that after you go through the process and i think you maybe can relate to that uh based on your experience with the ip after all the process you can understand why this was important for you and you just enjoy that and I think this is a good moment to bring this book into the conversation. Have you read it? It is a newer. No, I haven't read it. No. I oh, I was reading it as I. Have you got it? No, I haven't. Oh, uh, yeah, but I was reading it at the same time as I was reading *The Master Yourself*, and they are both like very, very similar books. Both talk about, well, Eckhart, the who is also the author of *The Power of Now*, calls it ego, and in your case, it is attachment and. In your case, it is unconditional love, and in his case, consciousness. But you also talk about consciousness and bringing this awareness mm -hmm. of unconditional love and of what you want in order to become a master of self. And mm -hmm. again, I, I think this is a, a good moment to, to bring your book into the conversation. How do you define in one or two sentences the mastery of self? Because I think I read like maybe four definitions you talked about through the book yeah, as you introduced new concepts. Yeah, I repeated myself quite a bit. Um, <laughs> to simplify it, it's very simple. <laughs> to simplify it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the mastery of self is the moment I no longer pretend to be something I am not, and I accept myself just the way I am at this very moment. The moment you stop needing and start wanting? Yeah. It's the moment I stop pretending to be something I'm not. For example... Hello, my name is Miguel Angel Ruiz Jr. And I do take things personal. I do make assumptions. Sometimes I'm not impeccable with the word. Sometimes 
I'm not skeptical at all. I buy a hook, line, and sinker. Sometimes I don't do my best. Just ask my wife. She is my witness. There's a moment where I accept the truth. And I understood that when, even before I wrote a book, people would interview me and they would always ask me the same question. Which one of the four agreements is the hardest one to you to follow? The four agreements, of course, is my father's book, my Don Miguel Ruiz's book. Mm-hmm. And I would always answer, it was between either taking things personal or being impeccable with the word. It was always those two that was always difficult. And then one day it had dawned on me. The reason why those two are the most difficult one is because I was pretending to be a man who didn't take things personal and who was impeccable with his word. I wasn't. But the moment I accepted the truth that I do take things personal, that I do make assumptions and I'm not, sometimes I'm not impeccable with the word, it is a moment where all of a sudden I free up all that energy pretending to be something I'm not. And that moment becomes the starting point in any direction in life. It's like the alcoholic or drug addict that all of a sudden wakes up one morning and sees the truth of what they've done. All their creation with, with their addiction. In that moment, that minimal opportunity, they have a choice. If they want to let go of the hangover, all they have to do is repeat the cycle and drink a beer. If you drink the beer, the hangover will go away because the brain gets it again. The body gets it again. But here's the thing. A moment of clarity without any action is, is just a thought that passes in the wind. That's continuing the cycle. The hair of the dog here in the States. But a moment of clarity followed by action becomes a pivotal moment in our life. In this example, it is the moment where I accept, you know what? This is where alcohol and drugs have brought me here. I don't want to this cycle anymore. I'm going to change direction. And instead of trying to get rid of the hangover, I allow my body to go through the cleansing, the going through detox and going through all the pain of detoxing. And then at the end, I feel better. Not because I pass the problem along to a future self, but because I finally decided to solve it. A moment of clarity without any action is just a thought that passes in the wind. But a moment of clarity followed by action becomes a pivotal moment in our life. It's the moment we change our life if we break a cycle and we decide in which direction we want to go in life i so i have i originally read your book because i was reading green lights by matthew mcconaughey and one of my key takeaways was to find your frequency to know who you are to find yourself mm-hmm. and Because your book uh, had the world and the word self in the title, I said, mm, well, it seems interesting. I have seen it a couple times and it was like totally different from what I expected, but I think it was what I needed mm-hmm. mostly because I had not identified who I was really. I, I might have known which masks I, I used to wear, but I didn't really know like who I am and how can I engage with other people mm-hmm. and what I want like to sort of do now is to connect the dots with something we were talking about earlier in our conversation which was like to fit in the group to mm-hmm. do something to be considered cool 
or not do it and be considered to be part of the other group. So how do you engage in any group mm -hmm. if you want to mm -hmm. by being your authentic self? Is there where unconditional love comes into life or? or, or <laughs> I love your question. I love your question. And here I go because I love your question. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start at the beginning of your question, getting to know myself. And I'm going to attach a little theory of knowledge for you. Awesome. <laughs> It is the difference between knowing myself through a symbol with a definition, meaning a symbol is an identity. An identity is just a mask we put on. And a mask, just like any word, is an empty symbol whose definition is subject to agreement. If I'm constantly trying to find myself with the right symbol to know myself, then I'm constantly chasing my tail because words, meanings are always changing continuously. It's always changing. There are words that are innocent in Mexico and not so innocent in Argentina. It's spelled the same way, pronounced the same way, enunciated the same way, but two totally different meanings that one here in Mexico, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're <laughs> So if you're trying to find yourself through an identity with a definition, you're going to spend the whole life morphing, changing, not because you're changing with life, but because your definition kept changing. And it's going to be frustrating because you want it to stay still, but life never stands still. Let me switch it in a different way. Getting to know yourself through the experience of being you. What's the truth? The word tree or the organism with which we've given the name tree? Which one's the, the truth? Organism. The organism. Organism. What is the truth? Your name or the organism? The organism. Mm -hmm. So the experience of being you is your experience of life getting to know who you are and here's the thing you're constantly changing you can say that when i wrote the book mastery of self i was writing a book called the five levels of attachments and i was describing how to go from each level of attachment and when i started writing to go from level three to level two which is to detach from our identity into our preference all of a sudden i wrote a chapter that was so long that my publisher went hey 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 you're 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 you're, you're, you're The line that you're creating just went this way in a tangent. Hits, cut this part, hit save, and finish the book, finish the line, and we'll revisit this one later. I finished the book and I went back and I, this little tangent became the mastery of self. Mm -hmm. How do I know myself? Well, I take off the mask by which I've defined myself, a mask that I let domesticate. Ego is easier to understand as a function rather than a concept. The function of ego is to keep the illusion alive. What's the illusion? The mask. Just like knowledge or the word. Mm -hmm. Every word is an empty symbol. The, the illusion is that it's the truth, but it's not. Knowledge is the perfect reflection of life. There's only one tree, the tree of life. The tree of knowledge is the perfect reflection of the tree of life. There's only one tree. 
there's only one me. How do I know myself? The moment I'm willing to take off the mask and experience what it feels like to be alive from this single point of perception that is me. And here's the thing. I am the constant in every relationship that I am in. I am the constant in all the variables that is my relationships, but I'm always the constant. My mom, my daughter, and my wife, the three women in my life, they all three see me as unique as they see me. My mom sees Miguelito. <laughs> my daughter sees Papa. And my, my wife sees Miguel. My mom got mad at me because I did the, the dishes and I did the laundry. It didn't live up to the image of Miguelito. When I was young, I would let that image domesticate and impose upon, upon me and I would domesticate myself with that projected mask. But when I took off the mask, here's the thing, they're still projecting onto me. So I say, no, thank you, mama. I like to do the dishes. I like to do the laundry. It doesn't mean that I may, I'm any less of a man. I am <laughs> in this family because all hands on deck. It needs to be done, I'll do it. She was the master of my domestication. My daughter, she's a rookie. The first time I shaved my head, I came home with a shaved head. My daughter went, no, 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 no. Because it didn't live up to the image of who Papa was. Like I said before, she's a rookie. She's gotten a lot better since then about her domesticating me. But and then you have my wife. Now, here's the thing. All this work in spirituality, be it with the Tolkien tradition, with Deepak Chopra, Tole, anyone, it's an inward journey. Until you reach the point where you take off the mask and you no longer look for yourself with an identity, with, as a symbol, with a definition, and you begin to experience yourself. All I need to do to know who I am is to take a breath. And this is me. But just because I took off my mask doesn't mean they'll stop projecting a mask onto me. They're still seeing what I want, they want to see. My temptation is to recreate the mask I took off with whatever projections they have of me. I can't control it. I only control to the tips of my fingers. I don't control their perception. I don't control their will. They do. And I respect them. I don't longer have to fight for them to see me. They'll see me or they won't. And sometimes I'm lucky. Sometimes they see the, the growth. My favorite one is when my ex-girlfriend goes up to my wife and says, you got the best version of him. Meaning that they saw the work, the work I did and they liked it. In fact, I had one another ex-girlfriend come up to me, Miguel, you look so happy. How did you do it? <laughs> and I'm able to share. There's, there's of course I have ex-girlfriends who still don't see me like that. They like, Miguel, <laughs> you know, that happens. I can't control how they see me. But here's a different facet, how to be the authentic self with all the people. And that was the last part of your question. I am the constant in every relationship that I am in. Every single one is a variable. Meaning by that, every single one is an individual who lives life 
as unique as they are. My relationship with my mom brings out a total different element of me than my daughter does. When I interact with my daughter, it's completely different than when I interact with my mom, which is both dramatically different to the way I interact with my wife. I'm still the authentic self, but every single one of these relationships brings out a different element to me. And I have friends who like to run. Like for example, when I talk to my friend, Brian, we talk about running, we talk about exercising. Then when I talk to my friends about Chillerato, we talk about science, we talk about the news, we talk about all these things. I don't talk to them about running because it's not in their interest. But we found the common interest in our life. And that's what we talk about. If you see just between these two groups of friends, my friends who are marath mar mar marathoners and my friends who are international baccalaureate alumni, they both represent a different stage in my life, but they bring out an element of me that is unique and I enjoy running just as much as I like to read and understand what they're talking about, which is all over the place. We can, we talked three hours on, on, on a Zoom meeting once and we couldn't stop talking. We just kept going and going and going and, and every, the, the subject matter just kept changing. And it wasn't gossip. We weren't talking about other people. We we're talking about ideas and concepts. It just kept flowing. Can I do that with Brian? Can I do that with my wife, with my daughter? No, no, the relationship is different. Maybe a little bit with my daughter because she's interested in it. In it. But mm -hmm. even then, is from a different unique, just with you. Like I can talk to you about LBI and we have a similar concept that we can un understand each other, but your journey with LBI is your journey with your LBI, with your compañeros. And my journey with LBI was way back when, when we didn't have computers and we had to go to the library and learn how to use the cards to find our information and really track down everything. It's a totally different experience. But you guys, that doesn't mean it's going to be any easier. It's just tougher because now you have to look for all this information and comb through a lot of fake news. It's, it's your journey. It's yours. And, and, and you are enjoying the result of all the people who came before us and after me that just pushed the envelope. You know, what you and I are using are people who... Uh, created something who are younger than me and older than you, the generation between us, created the, the stuff that we're using right now. That's phenomenal. And Lord knows what you are going to bring to the table and Lord knows what's going to bring after you. You know, you, you are growing up in the post-world. You know, like the, the, the post-world COVID. COVID taught us that we no longer have to go to work to do work. Mm -hmm. And everyone's moving all over the place because we can do exactly this. And all of a sudden, I, I watched it with my daughter, with her, with her classmates, and my son yeah. too. He has autism, but even then, they still do that. We live in a time that is unique, and it's your journey. So, the constant how to be the authentic self with all these people, it doesn't matter. What matters is being the authentic self with myself. I know myself through the experience of being me, which is dramatically different from getting to know myself 
through an identity with a definition. It's the whole difference between Don Quixote de la Mancha and the organism, in this case, fictitious, of course, but there's many of us who resemble uh, La Mancha. And that's it. Just know that you are the constant in every relationship that you are in, and every friendship brings out a totally different element of you. And there's no amount of symbols, and there's no identities that, that will encapsulate all of you. Just imagine throwing a party where you invite everyone you know, and they all migrate, they all create their own groups because that's how they know interact. Mm -hmm. And you interact between all of them. And some of them like, man, I, I didn't know you were, you were into that. Oh, I didn't know you were, how did you know about it? And I also they see a totally different side of you. That happens to almost all of us. And I say almost because sometimes we, we rarely get some, there's some of us who rarely go out the door. But what is always the truth is that we are the constant in every relationship, but the relationship that matters the most in regards to knowing who I am is the relationship between symbology, symbolically, of course, my mind and my heart or left hemisphere, right hemisphere, whichever one you prefer, that part where my mind is talking when I'm thinking and that part of me when I'm listening to what I'm saying when I'm thinking and vice versa. If that relationship is in harmony, then all my relationships will be in harmony. But if this, this relationship is in disharmony, then all my relationships will be the constant expression of conditional love. I can't heal without my permission, which means in order to create that healing that I want to see over there, I start right here. And in my life, that healing allowed me to heal my relationship with a lot of my ex-girlfriends a lot of my old friends who had his disagreements and now we no longer have it. And it made, allowed me to understand my wife of 17 years and see who she is every day because she keeps changing as well. You see, even with some for my wife, like Einstein's uh, theory of relativity. It's easy to see the changing changes in our kids because they're growing at a totally different rate. You know, in five years, seven years, and 15 years, you can see the physical changes, the mental changes, like psychological changes, the maturity. And it's impressive to see it because it's right in front of our eyes. My wife and I have been together for 17 years and we're growing at the same rate, which means sometimes we can't tell it when we change because we're going at the same speed. We, we don't realize it until one day we take a step back and see who's next to me. Just in the same way I take a step back and saw myself. I'm not the same person I was when I was 28, 30, 45, not even the same person at the beginning of the week. And my wife, mm -hmm. neither. She's not 28. She's not 30. She's not 40. And I'll stop right there. She's changing continuously. So you can have two people who are constantly changing and we could take each other for granted and not see the changes. But all you have to do is just take a step back and see the person and see who they are today and realize that our relationship is continuously changing, even though these two people have been together for 17 years, we're changing together. And that's beautiful when you are able to witness it. 
and is even just as beautiful to be able to witness our own self. I'm not the same person I was, which means every relationship is new because I've never been in a relationship with this person, with my wife, for example, I'm no longer in relationship with a 28 year old version of her. I'm in relationship with who she is today and is unique and I'm trying to learn and I'm playing it by ear and adapting to the new situation. And the beautiful thing about that is that I'm able to witness the change and let go of whatever, kind of like with Don Quixote, the willingness to drop the mask of Dulcinea and see Alonza. I forgot her last name. <laughs> but you see her for who she is. The barmaid who's able to scream and carry barrels because she's that buff. At least that's how uh, Sancho Panza sees her. <laughs> okay, so let me know if I am getting it right. Knowing yourself is about being yourself without attachment to a specific part of yourself mm -hmm. and engaging in the right way with others and you know just socializing is bringing the part of you that unites with another part of them without like staying attached to that to always fit in that is knowing yourself to also socialize with yourself Yeah. And then you have been talking also about change and taking a step back to see how you have changed, how you have transformed over the years, over time. And well, one question I, well, one of my non-negotiable questions in interviews is what is your definition of transformation And how do you approach it? Which I think kind of relates with all of what you just said. Well, my definition of transformation is, is living by letting go. My, my brother Jose has a beautiful analogy or metaphor. Mm -hmm. Imagine a snake that holds on to every skin he's shedded. And whenever he talks to someone, Oh, today my wife left me for someone else. Oh, that's, that's skin number 45. Let me get that skin. Yes, now I relate to you. Transformation happens in life by living. What stops us from enjoying life is holding on to that which no longer exists. For example, a teacher once taught me this beautiful lesson. Forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. You accept it and you let it go. To accept it is to realize that you can't go back in the past and change a yes to a no or no to a yes because life no longer exists in the past. The past only exists in your mind in the form of a memory. And it probably didn't happen the way you think it happened. Mm -hmm. Just like the future doesn't exist yet, it only exists in my mind as my imagination. But the only place that doesn't need me for it to exist is this present moment, just like the truth. It doesn't need me. The present doesn't need me. But this is the moment where I'm able to make choices. And I can choose to let it go. I'm going to use my brother's analogy as well, my Jose. Okay. The image of a scorpion that stings itself over and over again with its own tail, administering itself its own poison, especially poison that it meant 
for someone else. Imagine that same concept as a human being that every time we think of the past, we sting ourselves with our own poison because we keep touching a memory that hurts over and over and we respond with sadness, with anger, with anguish, resentment, or whatever else. The moment you let it go is the moment you no longer sting yourself with that poison. I will stop using the past to hurt me. And that's what forgiveness is. And what if you sort of look back or take a step to appreciate and notice things would and you don't do it uh, from a place of conditional love would you consider that like poisoning yourself just for looking back no when you look back and you realize that you're not taking the poison it means that you healed that wound it no longer hurts which means you're no longer using the past to hurt you but because it no longer hurts You're able to see it and you can learn from it. It reminds me of an old phrase. Uh, actually, uh, a member of a band called Wu-Tang Clan said this. And I don't know where the mom got it from, but he was quoting his mom. <laughs> this is going to use his mom. I don't know where she learned it from, but the source <laughs> I got it from is from uh, Wu-Tang Reza's yes. mom. She says this. A smart man learns from his own mistakes. But a wise man learns from the mistake of others. When we're able to heal our wounds from the past, we're able to look at our own mistakes and learn from them without judgment. Kind of like in physics, in your homework, if you, if you fail that one time, you won't judge yourself, you just keep moving forward and keep moving forward. I will be having to hear that again because what happens a lot to me in these interviews is that in the moments my, my mind's just like blown up and I don't totally like <laughs> get things but but then when I get them I am I am in, in my bed at, at 10 p.m. and I'm about to sleep and I'm just like yep. now I get it yeah like the expression goes cayó el 20 exacto yeah. one moment Like you'll be thinking, and this still happens. Like there's still times in my life. I'm in my 40s now, I'm 45, and I think back on something someone said, and and even in elementary school, also. Like, oh, <laughs> yes. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and well, getting back into attachment, and this is a question I previously had, but didn't want to ask it until now. Until when is attachment a bad thing? And I think for this, I should probably be reading your your other book, the five elements of uh, the five levels of attachment. I think it's the same. But yeah. until which level is it bad? Because, for example, if I can kind of identify myself with these conversations and with my podcast, and as me being a podcaster and entrepreneur, until which point is that like bad, or does okay. it become attachment? Yeah. Okay, so first, an attachment is investing of ourselves emotionally, energetically, or intellectually onto something. It's engaging moment. That's what an attachment is. And to be honest with you, there's nothing wrong with it. I actually, and I didn't mention that in the, in the, in the five goals of attachment, but I did mention it in the mastery of self. 
there's nothing wrong with attachment because in life we attach and we detach attach detach engage disengage engage disengage we attach to something and we're able to detach we don't get attached to material things we get attached to the meaning of it what it means to us we're actually not never really unless we're addicted and the body doesn't know how to live without it then it's a little bit more difficult but the majority of times we are attached to the meaning and the status of something all right to your question when does it become problematic in the book i wrote about the five levels of attachment and it becomes problematic when we begin to domesticate ourselves with it but that's just a consequence the real the real reason why that happens is that, okay, life engages and disengages, attaches, detaches, attaches, detaches. What, what makes an attachment unhealthy is when the time comes to detach, we can't. Who am I without this? Who am I without this? How do I know I'm worthy of love? How do I know I'm righteous? How do I know? This is the only way I know. I need to hold on to this. I need to hold on to this because this is the only way I know I'm cool. My fondness is still cool, man. Even though they're 30 years old or over 30. It's still cool, right? Yes. Tell me it's still cool. <laughs> it's still, it's still, it's still. But that's the thing. The moment passed and when we let it go and we engage something else. That's what makes us healthy. What happens when we attach, it's kind of like when we were playing in the monkey bars in, in, in the columpios. We go from one bar to another one. What happens when we get attached to one bar? We cannot like go to the other one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we stop moving. But here's the thing. Life continues to move without us, but our perception, our attachment got stuck in the moment. Okay, I think I do that. In so a relationship, in mm -hmm. a point of view, the willingness to let go is the willingness to re-engage life again. The willingness to let go is the willingness the willingness to re-engage in life again. Mm -hmm. Interesting. See your present moment. And it's always changing. You know, it's, okay. the truth is always changing. The truth or the beliefs? Both. Mm. That's just what life is. Hmm. And a belief yeah. is always changing because in order for a belief to exist, an agreement has to be made. But every time someone makes the agreement, it changes according to the individual point of view. You know, at one point, one word was innocent, and then it became vulgar, and then they reclaimed it and became innocent again, and then it keeps changing. A definition of beauty keeps changing. Our belief of what beautiful is keeps changing what success is, what man is, it's always changing. It's never constant. If you try to try and get it to one definition, it's universal. As soon as you explain it to someone, they may say the same word, but their belief about it is different. For example, someone says, I practice the four agreements, but they don't know if they're actually saying the four agreements or the four conditions because they're calling it the same thing. In life, the truth is always changing. Just like the earth's changing. And if you went back to the past several thousands of years, the earth will look different because the continents 
shift. If you, or even, especially if you have several million years, if you go back in the past several million years to the age of the dinosaurs, the geography is dramatically different. You won't recognize Earth. Same thing if you fast forward, the continents keep moving. The organism, the, the being, the, the planet, the object is still the same, but there's so much energy that moves with tectonic plates and energy and weather and all kind of thing. Then in five uh, a million years, it will look dramatically different. And we know it's going to do it because we know from the past that it did. Everything changes. So truth is something that is always changing as beliefs do, but truth is something, well, the changing of truth is something we cannot like appreciate without the space between things as your example from from the earth uh, millions of years ago and the earth now. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I... Even, even what the definition of what being Mexican, let's imagine this. Well, let's use my, let, I'm going to use myself. I am a first generation American. My father was born in Mexico. My grandmother was born in Mexico, in fact, Juanacatlan, Jalisco. And I'm going to use that reference because her father was also born in Juanacatlan, Jalisco. His father, Don Leonardo's, Leonardo's father, Sarita's father was named Don Leonardo. Don Leonardo's father was named Don Ezequiel, and he was also born in Juanacatlan, Jalisco. Now, here's the funny thing. His parents were also born in the same physical space or the, the same pueblito. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing between these two generations. Don Ezequiel is the first generation that called itself Mexican. His parents called themselves subject to the king because they were born oh. in España. Now, I did a lot of research. So I always had that curiosity. What did Mexicans call themselves during El, el, el Virreinato. Virreinato, uh -huh. Nueva España. And I asked several historians until I found the one who had the answer. And she said, nationality is a modern concept that's almost 200 years old. Before that, the concept of nationality, the way we know it, didn't exist. Which means the parents of Don Ezequiel in my lineage did not call themselves Mexican. They call themselves subjects to the king of Spain. Now, of course, you can debate this. That's the beautiful thing about history. Someone will hear us. Let me debate that. Let me see if that's true and verify it. But that's the beautiful thing. That's the one thing. And reminds me of what Jose says. I was born in 1975, and everything before that is a story to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is that if you look at the history, when I, when I read history, I know that I have an ancestor that lived through it. You know, just like I have an ancestor that lived through the Porfiriato, durante la, 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 la Reforma, la Independencia de Mexico, and the, both versions. And then I have ancestors that met the New World, and I have ancestors that were part of the New World. The definition of self changed. And for them too, yeah, for them too, what happened before was story. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Right now, you know, especially those of us who, I, I, yeah, I, I live in the States and I'm a US citizen, but I have a, a, a 
inheritance of Mexican tradition, the Mexican descent. You know, we, we have parents who come from Mexico, but it's been so many, a couple of generations that is almost like, yeah, what, what existed before us, right? What existed? Of course they call themselves Mexicans. No, they didn't. They call themselves Nueva España. And here's the funny thing. When you look into history, you find out that the, the los indígenas that were that followed Miguel Hidalgo, one of the tragedies is that they didn't know that there was a Mesoamerica. They thought that the Spanish ruled forever, that Nueva España existed for a long time because they didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have that education. They thought it was forever. And it was a shock to find out that there was something called Mesoamerica, you know, the Aztecs and the Toltecs and the Mayan, all that kind of thing. At least according to that story that I read about the insurgency of Hidalgo. One thing I reflected from this also is that for these people, for the indigenous, maybe they uh, didn't know they were part of the, these civilizations that were that existed before them. But even though they didn't have that belief, they still had that truth. Um, yeah, like with, without knowing. Mm -hmm. or, or that's like you could say oral story the oral history some you know it's like like, like when the when the aztec invaded a new kingdom you know like mm -hmm. said when you invade a new place destroy their history so that they can fall in line with the aztec history the, the mexica some same thing happened to them when the spanish came in and they erased their history Well, there's people who remember it and there's a lot of people who don't remember it. But, you know, for us, it's been 200 years since the Mexican independence and the idea that the people before the Mexican independence didn't call themselves Mexican makes us go like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what? Of course, what, what? That's only 200 years. How many centuries was there between Mexican independence and the conquest? Mm -hmm. Almost. Oh. 200 right i think almost three three if if, if if we take if we take uh cortez but mm -hmm. or columbus you know depends on which one you want to use but little by little we can tell stories about the truth we can have one event and every person who witnessed it will tell a different story and how depending on their perception of that event and so every person who saw it The story they say is the truth because that's how they remember it. But if you put them all together and they start saying it, they all sound different. And the constant is the action, but their perception of it is the variant. And that tends to shape history. Yes, and that's also interesting. Like when reading books to get different perspectives from, from just one uh, truth. And that's what I kind of got with your book and The New Earth because you... Well, Eckhart and you both talk about like the truth of bringing consciousness, of bringing unconditional love into what you do, not to believing in a life of attachment and domestication. And, and that's also something I like just by discovering and learning. And that's kind of where my curiosity also sparks into life. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Um, I know I have taken more of the time we agreed, but this will be the last question. So in, now instead of like uh, watching a word, uh, attachment in, in history, in the past, how do you know or how does someone know if the attachment they have to a vision for themselves for the future is not just narrowing their path and blocking opportunities they could take how, how do you like kind of decide and from a place of unconditional love hmm. if uh if a path if a vision is not just attachment and an illusion um what do i want to experience what am i experiencing you know like we can have a direction in what, what, what we want to create and success is following through Mm -hmm. follow through follow through is always the, the root of success you know like i had a teacher once say the key to enlightenment is effort that's it that's all the key to enlightenment is effort is using the energy that animates your body to take a step forward to manifest something to move to change to say that's what effort is intent you can say discipline is remembering to apply that effort every day That's it. Forget about the drill sergeant in your head that you have to gather. Yeah, no. Remembering to apply that effort every day. Just remembering it's a choice. Success is following through on all of that. Remembering the difference between I have to and I want to. If you mm. keep saying I have to, I have to, I have to, then it's become an obsession. And that's when the perception really narrows down. But the gut check, the subtle truth is, do I want to? Is this something I really want? And the answer is yes. Then keep going. If it becomes eventually one day, it's because you lost the passion for it. And now you have to make a choice. Are you doing it because, como dicen por allá, quieres quedar bien? I, I want to fit in well and people see me right. Or I'm really no longer have the heart for it. Like, for example, my friends, hey, are you going to run the marathon in December? And I said, no, my heart's not in it. I don't have the passion for it. That was my truth. If I forced myself to run the race, I wouldn't have enjoyed it because I didn't want to do it. I was doing it for something else. But if I want to, then it's a totally different answer. So it's always being able to check in with yourself. What do I want? Like, for example, I told my daughter, it doesn't matter what college areas, there's no such thing as the right college. What do you want to experience in those college years? What do you want to experience in those? Because you're living life. Those four or five years, that's going to be your life. What do you want to experience in that life? And all of a sudden, her answer changed. Instead of like this image that she had of it, she started, well, I kind of want this city. I want, I want to go to Tokyo. But I don't want to do all four years in Tokyo or Barcelona Maybe I can just go to a college that I can go one year abroad and have that. And all of a sudden, it, her answer changed. Now she's looking into maybe University of Washington or UCSD where I studied or something like that. Who knows? We'll find out in four years when she has her final say. But I told her there's no such thing as the right college, but there is such a thing as what college, what city do you want to experience during that time? 
So if my vision is like set to the I want and my path is not like just narrowed and blocked, but it even expands, right? And then in, on the other hand, if my vision comes from a place of I need and I have to, then it does narrow down and it blocks other opportunities. Yeah, for example, if you had an idea that your first year of international baccalaureate, I have to be present, forget about Prevei, I want to go there, but COVID happened, COVID-19 happened, all of a sudden you're not going to the classroom. You're not gonna be physically sitting there with your compañeros, but you still want to experience it. You come together as a group, teachers might be leading it. And the instrument we're using right now is the same instrument you use to take classes. Mm -hmm. If you are so attached that it has to be this way, you're gonna miss this opportunity of, all right, I want together with this digital world. It's kind of the same like when I say, there's, there's, uh, there's people who want to always hug. And for them, <laughs> it's a level of intimacy to hug. And that's a wonderful thing to hug. Yeah. And then they really form the idea, it always has to be a hug. But then they meet this one person whose intimacy is, there's a lot of wounds and they, they, for them it's too much. To hug is too much. It's, it's, it, you're asking too much of me, but I want to have a connection with you here. And I extend my hand to shake it. If you're attached that it has to be a hug when this person reaches with her hand, you're going to miss out mm -hmm. on the opportunity this person gave you. I can't open up, but this is as much as I can hug. And here it is. You're going to miss it because it doesn't, it's not a hug. But you stand back and see what's in front of you, that this person has opened themselves as much as they can. Thank you, brother, for that opportunity. Yeah, it has been a, like a big clarification because in the past few days and weeks, I have been kind of struggling with that, with setting a vision and having a fear of missing out other things. But if I am in a place of attachment, I do miss out. And if I am not, then I create other opportunities. All right. And that's the thing. It's like when, once you let go of this idea, you step, step back and you realize you have all this direction. You mm -hmm. have all these possibilities. You, you just choose the one you want to experience. Okay. So it's also about flexibility in, in your approach to what you want. All right. And, and you can say that the people who had that flexibility thrived during this COVID mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, for, for sure. Well, this really has been a great conversation. Again, many great clarifications, inspiration for, for my next years of international baccalaureate. So I thank you for all of that. I thank you for, for all the lessons and clarifications again. And is there anything you would like to add or if you, would you like to also tell people where can they find you? Well, at first I wanna say muchas gracias Emiliano. Thank you so much Emiliano for this opportunity and this great conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was fun. I just wanna, <laughs> uh, and I just wanna say to everyone, have fun, enjoy. Enjoy being you, enjoy your experience. For as long as there is life, anything is possible. And the only, the, only, the only no that really matters is the no that you give yourself. And to respect, life has all the right to say no to you. Just like a, a person in front of you can say no to you. 
But if you prepare yourself and you're ready, when life says yes, when the person says yes, then you will be ready for that opportunity because you already said yes to yourself. You gave Great. yourself the opportunity. Fantastic. Well, where can people people find you? I know your Instagram is at Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. But where, uh, yeah, where can people find you? <laughs> well, uh, you can find me on miguelruiz.com. That's my father. So me, my brother, and my dad, all three of us are there. That's our home base. I do have my own website, Miguel Ruiz Jr. and miguelruizjr.com. But yeah, like you said, Instagram, Facebook. I'm more active on Instagram than I am on Facebook. It's, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a simpler thing. Uh, in Twitter, I do have one, but it's like the holder. Instagram, I, I'm active there. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much.